Welcome to Kitchen Table Conversations, a series of short and shareable conversation starters for those of us who have or love and support people with a complicated and beautiful brain. Here's your host, Angela Geddes. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Kitchen Table Conversations. My name is Angela, and I'm your host for today, and I'm just so pleased that you've decided to share some of your time with us. So I'm quite certain that most of you know by now that I am a social worker in private practice with a particular passion for supporting individuals who often feel misunderstood, often feel a little disenfranchised or isolated, or face, you know, significant barriers to some of the social environments, social circles, and certainly some of the community supports that they might find quite helpful I am quite honored to walk alongside some of the most resilient, brave, and and just really strong and caring individuals that I have ever met. And many of them have very complicated and beautiful brains. Some of you may know that I have a particular interest in fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, but I also have a particular interest in supporting our veterans. And being that this is the month of November and the week of Remembrance Day, I thought I would spend some time today focusing on remembering and focusing on the many sacrifices that individuals have offered in the name of safety and security for fellow Canadians. I think that uh, people who know me would also agree that I am not a historian and I'm not an expert in Canadian history and our military history in particular, I have learned much of what I've learned from the people that I walk alongside. And I've said that always, I've read a lot of books, I've written a couple, um, I've read a lot of journal articles and attended countless classes and, uh, you know, different programs and professional development. But the most meaningful learning that I have ever had is from the people who live these experiences every day. So I have learned much of what I know about our military service and the impact of that on individuals and family members from those who have served and those that I walk alongside and support. The older I get, um, the more I seem to be interested in history. And it just, I guess it's more meaningful because it's not so distant as it was when I was growing up. I think that this week in particular is a good time to spend a little bit of time maybe learning a little bit more, maybe remembering, maybe taking some time to actually attend some services or some ceremonies or hopping online to pay some tribute to some of the people that came before us that helped to build our country to what it is today. I'd like to take a couple of minutes to just recognize the role of our Indigenous veterans Although it's difficult to get exact numbers of participation, but it is really, um, you know, important to note that our Indigenous participation in Canadian military efforts over the years has been quite significant. And they came to, to their roles with really specialized skills, important qualities um, that are often found within our Indigenous communities include patience and stealth and mark- marksmanship. And these skills would help many of these soldiers become very successful snipers and recognizance scouts. And these were men who stealthily gathered information on enemy positions. Some of our Indigenous soldiers also used their language to our advantage by translating sensitive information into Cree so that it could not be understood by the enemy. 
and right here at home, Indigenous military personnel have filled a wide variety of roles, including serving with our Canadian Rangers, keeping our northern borders as safe as they can be. These Rangers use their intimate knowledge of the land in order to protect some of the most rugged and remote terrain that we have in this country. And now I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge Black Canadians in uniform, as their history in our military comes long before we became a country. American slaves had been offered freedom and land if they agreed to fight in the British cause, and thousands seized the opportunity to build a new life here in British North America. I think it's important for all of us to learn more about these valuable contributions to our Canadian military, and also to acknowledge the extra difficulties that many experience due to racism and discrimination. And uh, it is important to note that the Canadian military uh, is continuing to work on dismantling racist policies and to improve circumstances um, for all. But uh, as we all know, this continues to be a work in progress. But I think that it's just really important for us to acknowledge that these circumstances really did and do exist, and that we all can play a part in uh, learning a little bit more and knowing how we can become more a part of the solution. So as I said, much of what I've learned from um, about the impact of military services from the people that I work directly with, and again, that's not, uh, that's not to say that I don't have some foundational understanding. I do have some family members that, are, um, that have been active and are currently active within our Canadian military. But I think that it's important to note that, you know, when I was in my youth, people didn't talk about the war. My family members that were a part of it stayed very quiet and one in particular I remember my father telling me that uncle that my great uncle Russell Alvin Geddes actively fought in World War II and was awarded for his bravery so we all knew that we had an uncle that uh, participated but we also knew that he didn't tell any stories of his experiences we had a number of great uncles and family members who were a part of World War II but we didn't learn from them because they didn't speak of it. And so we all kind of understood that that was just something that they didn't, they didn't necessarily want to talk about. But now we're understanding that many people experienced what we now understand to be post-traumatic stress disorder, but it was just something that we didn't address at all. So I feel so badly that so many people struggled uh, with their own experiences on their own. Now I'm pleased to say that we are doing a lot of work to reduce the stigma that's uh, so attached to mental health disorders of all kinds, but particularly for those of our Canadian military members who have served. It is now a little bit better understood that people do struggle with returning home from some of the terrible atrocities that they've seen while in theatre. And uh, we do have supports in place now for people who are able to access them. We still have some work to do in order to make these really good connections and to help people to feel safe to talk about some of their experiences a little bit more openly. So I encourage everyone to check out some website links on my website um, to learn more about some of these things. But for now, I'd like to just take a minute to kind of go over what some of the signs and symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder are. 
So first, we can start with what is post-traumatic stress disorder? And PTSD is caused by witnessing or experiencing or learning about someone close to you who has experienced traumatic events, such as actual or threatened death, serious injury, or violence or sexual violence. The good news is PTSD is treatable. And as I said, I'm very honored to walk alongside so many individuals who do experience symptoms of PTSD, but they do lessen over time and uh, people do do better. So there are four types of symptoms that are often seen within PTSD, and that is involuntary re-experiencing or reliving of the trauma, such as disturbing memories or nightmares or feeling like the trauma is happening again. So people experience flashbacks, for example, or becoming very upset when reminded of the trauma. There's also for some a persistent avoidance, such as avoiding memories or thoughts about the trauma, so having no desire whatsoever to speak of it, which is what I was referring to earlier with many of my family members who just didn't talk about their experiences. So they would avoid places or people or conversations that would remind them of that trauma. And there's also negative thoughts and moods, so feeling very detached or isolated or misunderstood. And oftentimes there's a feeling of, I'm a bad person, or how could have I done that? And reflecting back on some of the experiences in a very, very different context and wondering what people are capable of back home now. And also seeing the world as a very dangerous place. There's also a tendency to be blaming of self for some of the trauma and feeling like it's a weakness. But there's also persistent negative emotions such as fear or anger or guilt or shame. And sometimes there's just a difficulty in feeling and really experiencing things like happiness and love and a lack of interest in participating in pleasurable and important activities. And oftentimes, people with PTSD are more on edge and reactive. So I once had a vet that every time he came out of my office, he had to look up at all of the buildings to make sure that there weren't any snipers. And even though he recognized that the context was different, those memories and those safeguards and that training was very difficult for him to let go of, even once here on home ground. So um, there's this often a constant feeling of being on guard, um, watching doors when they go out into public, uh, being irritable or angry or just not lacking tolerance for some of the more simple things in their view. Um, there's often trouble sleeping and being very startled easily and difficulty with concentration. And sometimes we see people who are just really reckless and kind of self-destructive. In Canada, we also use a term called operational stress injury, or OSI, which is used to kind of describe any persistent psychological difficulty that results from duties that were um, part of, of their experiences within our armed forces or Royal Canadian Mounted Police. So operational stress injury describes a very broad range of problems that result in some level of impairment of functioning and interferes with day-to-day -day activities. So this can include PTSD or other diagnosed medical conditions such as anxiety or persistent depression and, uh, and some maybe more or less severe conditions. Uh, we also uh, support a number of people who are dealing with chronic pain and who are 
dealing with differently abled bodies that make, you know, what they used to do sort of out of reach. And that can be really, really difficult to find your place once once your body's not uh, not cooperating as it, as it was before, not to mention the fact that chronic pain can just be absolutely exhausting. So as far as treatment for PTSD, it's, it's often treated through talk therapy or medication and sometimes a combination of both. I often suggest that uh, people consider therapy before medication because, you know, I just think it's important for the least amount of anything that interferes with the way that we think or process information, the better. However, I am a firm believer that there are times where medication is absolutely necessary. So um, this is done in consultation with your physician or your psychiatrist or your medical expert in this area. So among the most effective treatments for PTSD are exposure-based cognitive behavioral therapies. And these treatments involve exploring how the trauma has negatively affected um, the way people think or perceive information and helping survivors of trauma think in more balanced ways about what has happened and what it might mean. We also deal a lot with grief and survivor guilt uh, with people who've been involved in traumatic experiences. So that's also something that we address. So there are a few links on my website that I encourage you all to take a look at. And being that Friday is November the 11th, I do encourage if you have some time to really take some um, some of it to, to do a little bit of, of research and to further and deepen our understanding of, of the role of our Canadian military and certainly historically to help build our country to what it is today. I would like to take a moment to acknowledge that many of our veterans who are experiencing signs and symptoms of PTSD or depression or anxiety often will seek out ways to self-medicate and lots of times this self-medication involves substance use and misuse. So I think it's really, really important to understand that, I mean, I've been in this field a long, long time and I've never met somebody who struggles with alcoholism just simply because they like the taste of it. There is a reason why people um, overuse and misuse substances and um, I think that it's been historically understood within our military culture that alcohol is used to let people settle down and numb things out a little bit. And so I think it's just really important to acknowledge that we continue to see the effects and the damaging effects of people who are now finding themselves abusing a variety of different substances. And then there's also an intergenerational um, impact as well. So of course, there is risk of prenatal alcohol exposures when families are engaged in that drinking culture. But also there's the impact of living in a household where parents are struggling with mental health and addiction issues. So just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that and to link that to, you know, some of the other work that I'm really, really passionate about. And that is, um, you know, reducing both the incidences and the impact of prenatal alcohol exposures. So thanks so much for tuning in. Once again, if you have any suggestions for further topic areas or if you like what you're hearing so far, feel free to share and connect with me directly. Um, the contact information is on my website, so please feel free to do so. In the meantime, have a lovely week. Take good care. With many thanks, Angela. Angela.